You are listening to Uncommentary, the home of conversations and clarity. I'm your host, Marty Duran. In season one, I told you about my wife's cookie business, Sweet Life Cookies, and I have decided to keep her as a sponsor for season two. You need to buy some cookies from Sweet Life Cookies. Uh, original chocolate chip, double chocolate mint, white chocolate macadamia nut. Uh, she's even added an M&M variety, which is very popular with kids, as you know. Um, half dozens or dozens can be shipped anywhere in the, in the United States. Uh, if you're in the Middle Tennessee area, specifically if you're in the Nashville area, you can get the cookie trays, three dozen size, six dozen size. Uh, that will meet all your office and party needs. Go to MySweetLifeCookies.com to place an order, or if you're interested in a tray, there's contact information there where you can give her the information about your get-together. Delivery is available in a limited range as well. So go to MySweetLifeCookies.com, check everything out. They are the best cookies in the world, and I ain't lying. guest today on Uncommentary is Jacob Schatzer. Jacob is uh, Assistant Professor and Associate Dean in School of Theology and Missions at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. He's an ordained Southern Baptist minister, as am I, don't hold it against us, and author of Spreading A Spreading and Abiding Hope. He's the editor of Volume of Essays by A.J. Conyers and the Assistant Editor for Ethics and Medicine, an International Journal of Bioethics. He is the author of Transhumanism and the Image of God, Today's Technology and the Future of Christian Discipleship, which we'll be talking about today. Jacob Schatzer, welcome to Uncommentary. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, so you've written a book called Transhumanism and the Image of God, Today's Technology and the Future of Christian Discipleship. That's not a mouthful. <laughs> it is It is quite the title. It is It is a coverful, actually. I'm looking. It actually reminds me of one of those like 1800s books that the, the, the title is like two words and then it's a, an explanation. It's like 52 yeah, words. Yeah, it's like the thesis statement in the <laughs> yes, subtitle. that's exactly right. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, so you are a, uh, your professor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I uh, currently I'm at, at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee, where I'm uh, assistant professor of theological studies and associate dean in the School of Theology and Missions. So I kind of do uh, half teaching, half administrative type stuff. Um, and so I, I live here in Jackson with my with my wife of uh, nearly 14 years, uh, Keisha, and then we we have uh, four children. Uh, did you did you follow Nathan Finn in that dean position? No, he. So I'm uh, I, as the associate dean. I work for the dean. So I did initially uh, work uh, for Nathan Finn for for a year, and then now I, I work with uh, Ray Van Est, who's the dean that that succeeded Nathan. Okay, awesome. Um, so as we were talking in the in the pre roll, uh, as they say in the biz, um, Christians aren't famous for uh, either preparing well or responding well to technological changes. We're morbidly afraid of anything new, it seems like. Um, and then when we don't get afraid of it anymore, we tend to uh, absorb it almost uncritically, unless it's like overtly sinful, uh, mm -hmm. like watching porn on your smartphone during the Sunday service. I mean, unless it's like yep. overtly wrong, uh, we don't get very deep into uh, the, the nature of a thing. Um, so your book kind of deals with this, and it's pretty deep, and it reminds me of uh, some of the great works of the past, uh, most primarily uh, Jacques Ellul's stuff, um, uh, how you are taking a broad view of what a particular technological bent might mean. 
Um, so what in the world is transhumanism? Yeah, so uh, transhumanism is uh, refers to kind of a, a broad range of philosophies uh, that don't necessarily agree with one another on everything, of course, but but generally uh, these these thinkers are pointing to the idea that uh, humans should take control of the evolutionary process. We now have the ability to to shape ourselves on profound levels because of technology and and uh, biomedical changes and pharmaceuticals and all those sorts of things. And so, uh, transhumanism says, "Hey, this ability is a good thing. We should uh, we should make it happen. We should allow people to experiment and and together move beyond uh, current human limitations as we understand them." So this sounds a little like, but a little different. Uh, than like that synthetic human dude and alien that was kind of a wicked guy and tried to kill Ripley in the end. It, I mean, is, is there overlap with a thing like that, or is that a completely distinct thing? We're not talking Terminators here, are we? No, not necessarily. I mean, part of the reason it's it's difficult uh, to to define is that transhumanism is very committed to uh, individual autonomy in in how people might pursue these changes, and so. Really, the only limit that, uh, that that most will place on it is the general idea of do no harm, mm-hmm. though how to define harm or anything like that is, is kind of left unanswered. Um, so there's not really a clear, this is the path it needs to take, so much as it is a, hey, this is a great opportunity. Uh, people should not be prevented uh, from pursuing it. Um, so I'm going to ask a question, and you may, not, you may not have a direct answer to this, and it's definitely not a gotcha, but the way you're describing it, this this sounds like the technology of libertarianism. Yeah, I mean, in, in a way, I think I think it is. I've, I've described it in in some contexts as this is just enlightenment individualism meets uh, profound technological advancement uh, with maybe a little bit of libertarianism uh, thrown in. Though I, I think that that it is a very very bare. Uh, libertarianism uh, w- with certain uh, notions of freedom that are more, you know, uh, j- just no uh, no prevention of, of anything as long as uh, no one's being hurt. I think there's probably a little little more to libertarianism uh, than that, but it, but it certainly uh, does connect with some of those same uh, sympathies, but then connect it up to these profound uh, changes that some think we can make to what it means to be human. So as long as they're consenting adults, go ahead and put that diode in my brain and, and hit go. Is that what we're looking yeah. at? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, so before we get all the way into, uh, there's kind of a technological foundation, I guess. You say this in um, in chapter one, actually the first page of chapter one, uh, technology and moral formation. You say this, um, the shift in terminology around the word technology prioritizes digital technologies as simply technology. Then you say, digital technologies invite an immersion that affects our formation in a more persistent way than a hammer, for instance. But how do these technologies form us? Are they tempting us with a particular vision of human flourishing? So I want to ask your questions to you. How do these technologies form us, and are they tempting us with a particular vision of human flourishing? Yeah, well, I, I think they are. Um, and so part of what I'm trying to draw on early in the book is one one thing, uh, one reaction that I think many Christians have to technology is, oh, we've already figured this out. Humans have had technology for a really long time, and we know that we should do good things with technology and not bad. But every technology is as simple as that. It's neutral. We just pick it up and, and we do what we want to do with it. On one level, 
that's true. We all experience an interaction with technology in that way, right? We've all been in that place where we've been holding a hammer and we can imagine a good thing to do with it and we can imagine right. <laughs> uh, certain bad things we can do with it. And we, we very much feel that choice within us. Um, but I think that, first of all, I, I don't think that's ever been completely true, right? There's the old adage, when you're holding a hammer, everything looks like a nail, mm-hmm. which, which gets at this truth that in some way, holding a hammer causes you to see things differently. Mm-hmm. Right. And now, unless you're under, you're, you're probably not walking around all day with a hammer. Uh, the problem is now with digital technology, it's so much more immersive. Uh, we're doing so many things uh, with digital technology. We're experiencing so much of our, our lives through it and connected to it that it is sort of like carrying that hammer all the time and more and more things looking like a nail. But it's so much more than just a hammer now. It is a, a device that you can do every, you know, like you mentioned before, there are certainly. Uh, some obviously bad things we, we can do, but there's also obviously good things that, mm-hmm. that we can do through this device. And so what I'm trying to problematize a bit is that idea that it's just as simple as a hammer. Uh, pick it up and do good. Don't pick it up and do evil. But instead, even like with the hammer, it changes the way we view the world. Our immersion in digital technology uh, will uh, alter the, the, the things that we see, the way we experience reality, uh, the way we evaluate reality, what we care about, what we value, what success looks like, what relationships should look like, why places are important. All these sorts of things are touched by our immersion in this technology. Um, so I'm, I'm going to assume that your answer to this next question is going to be no. Um, is technology neutral uh, if, if, we, if everybody operates a smartphone essentially the same way? Uh, whether you have an iPhone or an Android or a Google, you know, a Google phone or whatever, uh, if you've got a, a Samsung, um, everybody picks it up, they touch it or they look at it. Now facial recognition in your phone scares me absolutely to death, but that's what we had. That's where we're at. Um, is it neutral? Is it just the thing? Because arguably the hammer is neutral. Yeah. So I guess I want to answer this. Yes. And no. Okay. Um, I, you wrote I the, say, you wrote the yeah, book, man. You wrote the book. Oh, you answer know, it how you want and, to. And, and ultimately, I my no is stronger than my yes. But <laughs> but I I want on the one hand, I think it's important to say technology is neutral because in in the sense that moral agency stops with us, those who are made in the image of God, mm-hmm. and we are held morally accountable for how we interact with and use our tools. So they're they're neutral in the sense that they do not have. Uh, moral responsibility. They're, they're tools. They're not persons. Persons have moral responsibility. Um, so I guess we could say technology is neutral in that sense. But I don't want to say technology is neutral in the sense that it has no uh, moral nudges or that it doesn't impact us as moral agents. So uh, technology is not just on its own, but technology tools are caught up in narratives, stories of reality, of Mm -hmm. what's important, of what we should do. And they do a very good job of discipling us into those narratives. And so we have to be aware that everything in our world that we interact with, tools included, uh, is is part of a bigger story because we're part of a bigger story. And so we have to be conscious of and and think about which story it is that we're, we're buying into. And I think with with the the idea that technology is neutral, I think that 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 stance encourages us to ignore those true aspects of the role that technology plays. Um, 
I read, I don't know, this may have been John Dyer's book uh, a couple years ago where he, he talked about um, going into the service and pulling up your Bible on your smartphone, uh, a, ser- a, yeah. a church service and going and pulling up your Bible on your smartphone. And that you don't even think of the possibility that it could be a different experience than opening up a, a, a leather Bible with paper pages and following along in that that format. And, um, and, you know, I still haven't hesitated away from telling people, you know, open your Bible or open your app. I I still encourage people because so many, that's all they bring is their smartphone. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. it was the first time I think that I had really been faced with the question, oh, what if this is, what if the medium is actually different? What if the medium is doing something different to me? because I'm looking at the, at the page in in digital format rather than in paper format. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever even faced the question in my own mind, I should say. Um, so, um, it, it, to me coincides with, I've been reading, uh, just started actually, um, Alan Noble's book, disruptive witness, or I think is the name of it. And in the Mm -hmm. very beginning, he talks about technology and how your smartphone uh, changes the way that your brain processes stuff. Again, way outside of my field, but I really resonated with how I feel when I'm using my phone, the reactions that I get, my attention span, all those kinds of things. Is transhumanism uh, someone's or uh, since it's segmented and there's some overlap, um, is that related to how technology is affecting us physically and, and the physical part of our brains, not just the way that our mind processes things necessarily, but the way that our brains respond to technology? Is that part of transhumanism? Yeah, yeah. So so part uh, part of the, the complexity here is that uh, more and more studies are showing that our, our brains are very malleable. Neurologically, things change with how, how we interact with information. And so, you know, there, there's the Nicholas Carr had his, his uh, famous article in the, I think it was in the Atlantic, is Google making us stupid, mm. right? Where he'd done these studies showing that, uh, that, that the way we engage with information is changing our ability to sit down and read a novel, for yeah, instance. Yeah. So on the one hand, we're, we're seeing that there is something about us that's changing. And now transhumanists would want to say, see, we're changing. We can change beyond what it means to be human. We can take control of this and, and move it in a good way. What I want to do is acknowledge that uh, the way we interact with technology is changing us. It, it's uh, impacting us neurologically. I don't think it's going to move us beyond what it means to be human. I don't think that's a worthy goal. Uh, but we should recognize that our interaction with technology is is shaping us and, and I think is these these types of changes are making us more likely to be interested in the type of future that transhumanists propose uh, partly because we're losing uh, some of our ability to uh, to do this kind of long form uh, thinking and concentration that these studies are highlighting um, losing or have lost which do you think uh it's probably everybody's on a spectrum, I guess. I, I don't know that I'd want to make a hard distinction there. Is that in the uh, when you're talking about the brain being malleable? Are we talking about neuroplasticity, which is a word I've heard, but I don't really know what it means? <laughs> yeah, yes, neuroplasticity would be the ten dollar word to use uh, to use there. <laughs> cool. I'll send I'll send you a bill. Um, so you're listening to Uncommentary. My guest today is Jacob Schatzer, and we'll be back right after this. 
So here are three ways that you can support Uncommentary. If you'd like to give a one-time gift of support, go to paypal.me slash uncommentarypod. That's paypal.me slash uncommentarypod. And you can do that there one time for as little as a buck. So uh, take the opportunity to do that. If you'd like to become a patron and be on a monthly donation, you can go to patreon.com slash uncommentary. And for as little as $2 a month, you can be a regular patron for Uncommentary. There's some gift levels there with some stickers and mugs, and feel free to choose the one that best suits your budget. The third way is by using my Amazon shop. So that's amazon.com slash shop slash Marty Duran. Amazon.com slash shop slash Marty Duran. Most of the books from the authors that I have interviewed are there, as well as some that I just recommend for your reading pleasure. Uh, you get the same low Amazon price, and it generates a commission to me, which helps support Uncommentary. So I hope you'll take advantage of one of these three, because I couldn't do it without you. Now, back to this episode of Uncommentary. Jacob, how in the world did you, uh, you're a theology guy, how did you get uh, involved in the study of transhumanism? I mean, this sounds like something Tim Hay would have had a, no pun intended, heyday with. Tim LaHaye would have had a heyday with back in the day uh, when he was warning everybody about the dangers of humanism. Um, how did you get involved in this? Yeah, so I uh, I did a biblical studies languages degree at Union for my undergrad. I also took a lot of theology classes and uh, when I began seminary, started to develop an interest in ethics. Uh, and I guess I, I think of myself primarily as someone who's interested in theology. Uh, but then every once in a while actually looks up and says, what's going on in the world? And, and how, what is, you know, the way theology forms us have to do with that? And so, uh, I mean, I, I can remember, uh, I guess, probably about 10 years ago now. It was my first year at seminary. I was back in Jackson visiting a friend and we were just talking about uh, about things, about ethics. And we started talking about virtual reality. And I, I remember asking him, well, what do you think? Is it a sin to kill somebody's avatar in a virtual world? <laughs> uh, and and as we talked about it, you know, we 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 definitely had the sense that it was not the same as killing a person in real life. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. we also had this sense that it wasn't just a, a morally neutral or negligible thing, right? That that there was there was something going on there uh, ethically that we needed to think about, and so. Uh, really, those, those kind of questions early in my my seminary career made me made me just interested in how how does theology push us into these conversations? And so I, I don't always feel like uh, I'm the greatest ethicist because I, I think a lot of of ethicists with what they tend to do with thinking through cases and problems really clearly they do a much better job th- than I tend to do. But but. I think when we try to to do theology well, when we try to worship God rightly and talk about God rightly in a world where these things are happening, it, it requires us to say some things about those things mm-hmm. in a faithful way. Well, if you're going and to do so any public, interest, yeah, if you're going to do any public theology, then you're going to bump up against ethics pretty quickly. I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, really, it was that that development of of an interest in these kind of questions, which really, I I, I think the issues with technology and transhumanism just give us really interesting ways to dance around the question of what does it mean to be human, uh, which I think is a fundamentally important question in our in our society today. Oh, absolutely. Um, okay, I'm going to ask you about a couple of terms you use in the book, uh, yeah. ne- neither of which I understand at all. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, acute technological opacity. 
Yeah, so th- so that's a, the term I believe that that's coming out of the work of oh I can't remember it off the top of my head. I'm in my office. I'm looking. Ah, I found the book. See, this is why you keep the books in your office. Uh, <laughs> Shannon Valor in, in this book, Technology and the Virtues, which is a, not from a Christian perspective, but a philosophical mm-hmm. a, approach uh, to these things, uh, uses that term uh, basically to, to say that, that we are blind to the way uh, the technology that's right in front of us is shaping us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we miss uh, the, these sorts of things because we're not answer, asking the right questions. The other one is uh, morphological freedom. Yeah, so this what, what I try to do in the the first major part of the book is draw this this kind of spectrum uh, for transhumanism of moving uh, away from the biological to the digital. So in the first uh, the chapter on morphological freedom, I, I, that I try to explain more as as remaining fundamentally biological but adding on a, a thing here or there. Uh, and then the second step is to kind of a hybrid uh, you know, mixture between digital reality and, and, and reality. And then the last being moving all the way to, you know, uploading my brain, if that's even possible. So morphological freedom in that kind of spectrum refers to this uh, commitment of transhumanism for individuals to, to not be prevented from making any changes they want to their body or appearance. Um, so this could be something as, as trivial as uh, piercings and tattoos, uh, which you know have been around and uh, have been uh, For a couple increasing years at least. in popularity. Yeah. yeah, at least five or ten. <laughs> uh, all the way to, you know, if you, uh, if you want a tail and you want to use the technology you can use to add a, a tail and, and add a, you know, interface it with your brain so you can wag your tail when you want to, no one should prevent you from doing that. Um, so, so morphological freedom really gets at that grassroots level that, that transhumanism is working at, uh, kind of the, the hacker experimenter ethos of, of transhumanism, that uh, we shouldn't put in place any kind of moral restrictions or legislation. As long as people aren't hurting other people, they should be free to change themselves in, in whatever way they, they see fit. Uh, so Elon Musk has famously said that he wants to make Homo sapiens an interplanetary species. Uh, he has a goal to not just send a rocket ship to Mars to do like scientific research, but to actually establish a human colony on Mars. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that a wedge of the transhumanist pie? Um, I, you know, I haven't I haven't seen a lot in the the reading that I've done that is explicitly connected up with that inhabiting of other planets. Um, but I think it would fit within that ethos uh, completely of, of uh, you know, no, no one should prevent uh, prevent that sort of thing. And I guess it would depend some on if, if there's a, a project there to, to evolve beyond human limitations, beyond simply relocating, mm-hmm. um, which, which I'm sure for some would be part of, of such a project. Um, talk a little bit about the goal of, of at least some transhumanists to, uh, to delay uh, – postpone or even do away with dying that, that they think that there's a way through technology, medicine, exercise, or a combination of those to like for people to get older and healthier or eventually that death just goes completely off the scene for at least some people. How is that? How do they see that working? Yeah. Yeah. So this, uh, this hatred of death is, is a common feature in, in, in at least one thread of transhumanism. 
Uh, and it's basically uh, this sense that why as humans do we just accept death, but rather death death should be seen as something that we can defeat. On the one hand, it's a very Christian sensibility. I was, right? I I was just some, about to say, wow, what a novel idea. Yeah, yeah some, some Christians, I think, are too comfortable with, with death as, oh, it's just a part of life. And, and actually, no, no, it's not. It's, it's a part of the fall, and mm. then Jesus died uh, for us and defeated death. And so uh, there's, it's an interesting Christian impulse, I think, this, this desire to defeat death. But they haven't gotten the news from the front lines that death has been defeated yeah. <laughs> uh, and instead seek to defeat it uh, by Im- improving. Uh, on the one hand, you'll have some that will just go with radical life extension. Mm-hmm. So if we can overcome disease and, uh, and some of these common problems with aging, especially on the genetic level, mm-hmm. uh, as uh, cells age, if they can reverse some of that, you know, extending life you know, doubling lifespan and, and things like that or beyond seems doable with what uh, science is, is is showing right now. But it goes beyond that. And there's this this quest for immortality that mm-hmm. connects more to that. How can we get away from the biological altogether and not just have our our meat suit last longer, but instead uh, trade it in for something much more durable, uh, whether that's existence in some sort of digital environment or some kind of uh, machine-like body or, or something like that. There's, there's variety there. Um, but there's definitely part of this transhumanist movement is, is one of the main things we need to move beyond is being satisfied with a life expectancy of, of 70, 80, 90 years. Wow. You said something in there, uh, exist in a digital environment. Um, I remember seeing a movie several years ago. I have I don't know who was in it. I don't know what the name of it was. I, I couldn't tell you hardly anything about it except that uh, the the entire movie plays out, and it seems like they're trying to rescue somebody from something, maybe from a battlefield thing. And it gets all the way to the end of the movie, and the person who's been rescued essentially finds out that all of the action, everything that's been taking place, has been taking place in the mind of this soldier seems like that is essentially dead. Their body is blown completely apart and they're only alive to keep their mind alive, to keep this scenario alive to keep, or to keep their brain alive, to keep this scenario alive, to allow this, this particular rescue to take place. Hmm. Uh, that really sounds like a little bit about what you're talking about to some type of inhabiting of a digital world. If your physical world is kind of, you've punched your ticket out here, you, your brain allows you to, uh, to exist in the digital realm? Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, and this this honestly requires the most speculation uh, at this point because scientists still don't even agree whether that's possible to, to upload consciousness into mm-hmm. a, a machine, right? So those who, who view the human mind as primarily about information would agree that, that if you had a strong enough computer, you could punch in all the information that's on somebody's brain. You could somehow get all that information onto the computer. Mm-hmm. The problem is then you've just duplicated it. That, that's why uh, in the book I've, I focus on mind cloning, which sounds weird, but basically gets at the fact that, that even the optimistic ones would say the best we can do is create a copy. Uh, then, well, what happens with that copy? Is it then a clone of you? It, where's your consciousness at that point? And, and there's not any kind of clarity on whether or not you, your conscious self would be able to move into a digital realm. Right. So, so all of that is, is much like that film you're describing right now. It's just kind of guesses based on some things that we 
know might work scientifically, but but also then a lot of speculation uh, for the for the sake of of interest and story. Uh, talk to uh, our listeners who are uh, would consider themselves Jesus followers about the uh, how to counteract, I guess, or be at least be on the lookout for the discipleship tendencies that exist within technology, especially the the internet of all things, the immersion that we all experience. If you've got a smartphone or anything resembling a connected home, um, how can how do we make sure? Uh, that we're not being discipled into um, a technology awareness or a lack of thereof uh, that would counteract uh, our discipleship into Christ. Yeah, well, I think um, on the one hand, I, I want to be careful to recognize that this is going to look really different for different people, mm-hmm. and there's no formula that is going to work across the board. And in fact, if we could come up with a three-step formula, we would have, in a way, just created an algorithm and a technological <laughs> solution to a problem, right? And so so I'll, I'll kind of preface with all that. Uh, but first, I think that, that as Christians, we just need to be better about noticing that this is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to be better about noticing that we are impacted and shaped by by these things. Um, and we, we need to, we can certainly notice ways that it helps us, uh, and there are ways that it's, it's helpful and good. I mean, the way that artificial intelligence is helping with medical diagnostics is, is fascinating, and I think a good uh, in many ways. So, so we need to notice what it's teaching us to value, uh, but I think that we need to focus on what Christians have historically focused on, which is uh, listening to God's Word reading God's Word, pursuing pursuing God and listening to God, mm-hmm. uh, seeking to be worshiping members of a faithful community of Christ followers. And we need to focus there on those things that God has used for centuries to form people into the image of His Son. And if we do those things, if we notice what's happening through technology, and if we focus on the stuff that has worked for hundreds of years— I think that will help us then be better positioned to imagine, uh, not in the sense of make-believe, but in the sense of, of, of looking toward a future that we can build. I think if we notice what's going on and if we focus on what has worked, that'll put us in a better place to imagine what faithful living, following Christ in this digital age, uh, can look like in a way that, that incorporates some of the, the goods and the advances of this technology, but at the same time helps us realize that we are not called to follow in the way of, of the tools, but we are follow, called to follow in, in the footsteps of Christ. And, and those are different things, uh, and, and it's something that, that through, through the work of the Holy Spirit we can, we can pay attention to and grow through. You've been listening to Uncommentary with my guest Jacob Schatzer. Jacob's book is Transhumanism and the Image of God, Today's Technology and the Future of Christian Discipleship. Now, is this is this on shelves now? Can it be ordered now? It is, yeah. It came out uh, in, in April, so it can be uh, purchased on the InterVarsity Press academic website or on Amazon or, or through other uh, digital booksellers. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, yeah, here we go. Or, uh, you know, it's probably in some some local bookstores for folks too, depending on where they live and what local bookstores still exist in their area. But uh, the easiest thing, unfortunately, is probably uh, <laughs> the web. Yep. Uh, and so, are you on social media? That you Twitter or anything like that? 
You know, I am, but I'm not active on, okay. on Twitter or Facebook. I have accounts, but but they're not active. So the best way to contact me if anybody's interested is just through my, my uh, university email, which is uh, J Schatzer. Uh, so J-S-H-A-T-Z-E-R at uu.edu. uu.edu. Jacob, thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Uncommentary. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. When you get a chance, if you would rate and review uh, Uncommentary in your favorite podcatcher, mostly iTunes, I guess, but uh, whichever one you use, whether it's Overcast or Podbean, if they have a rating system or review system, if you would take a few moments to do that, that'd be awesome. It takes about 10 seconds to uh, to rate and about three sentences to review. Um, doesn't, doesn't take a lot. So we're over 60 on ratings and almost a 30, I think, on reviews on iTunes. If we can get to 150, respectively, that'll be awesome. Uh, if you're interested in supporting Uncommentary financially, uh, you can do a one-time gift at paypal.me slash uncommentarypod. That's paypal.me slash uncommentarypod. Uh, if you'd like to become a patron for as little as 2 bucks a month, swag level 3 bucks a month, you can do that at Patreon patreon.com slash uncommentary that's patreon.com slash uncommentary now if you'd like to advertise and i can always use advertisers then email me marty duran at yahoo.com and i'll get you a rate sheet you can follow me on twitter at marty duran follow the podcast at uncommentary pod and tell your friends and relatives and everyone you know to listen to uncommentary till next episode this is marty duran for uncommentary solideo gloria